How are you guys doing? Doing well. How about yourself? Amazing. Awesome. Um, thank you for joining us today. Let me get this on mute. mute. Oh, I see. Isn't it interesting? Okay, I think we're good. I think we are good. Yeah, another day in real estate. Took a new listing yesterday. Great property. Got some great listing leads today. Um, rates going up, man. Um, who here has had some drama uh, associated with the recent rise in interest rates? Anybody? Ms. Martina, the see you on the call. You're muted. Any drama associated with interest rates? No. So we're going to start here about two minutes. But <clears throat> I want to open up the topic today on uh, talking about interest rates and loans and stuff and the market that we're in. Exciting time to be in real estate. This is, uh, this is where we earn our money, keeping deals together, getting deals while we're keeping deals together. So, uh, hey, Bill Gross here. Uh, we're going to start in about two minutes. I'd like to get on early, get people lined up, excited, teed up. Uh, who do we have on the call here? S. Stewart. Have we met before? Of course, you're driving, but we want you to drive safely. So, um, no? No? Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah I've talked to you before. You're from Compass, right? Oh, she took the video off. Come on. Hello. No. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Hi. This is S. Stewart. Yes. Sorry. I am driving. I think we had a brief conversation maybe a month or so. No, a couple of months ago. But I always get the messages you send out and I try to log in and listen in when I can. Great. And you're an agent with Compass, right? Yes, I am. And the 202, you're in what, Washington, D.C. area? Yes. Serving at D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Good, good. Well, welcome to the call. Thank you. Um, and let's see real quick. Hi, this is Denise Sanders from hey, Louisiana. Denise Sanders from Louisiana. How are you doing? Great, Bill. What part of Louisiana are you from again? Baton Rouge, Red Stick. Baton Rouge, Red Stick. That's right, it is Red Stick. Good, well, welcome. Hey, four o'clock, let's launch this thing. <clears throat> so I'm Bill Gross, mostly a broker here in Los Angeles, California. Uh, and I build myself as the LA probate expert. My expertise is really on properties that get sold at court confirmation in particular. I think a bit of more sides of those, both as a listing agent and buyer's agent than anybody else in the last year. I've been to court probably as often as anybody else than the attorney or judge or, or agent. <clears throat> and I designed this... Uh, the Zoom call when COVID, yeah, I used to do a, a meetup at the courthouse in LA County at the Moss Courthouse. I would give people a tour of the probate court facility and um, show them where the research facility was. Can't do that, obviously. So I created Zoom as an alternative, as a way to get together and share best practices, ideas, struggles, uh, leads uh, to work together if we can, referrals and such. 
So we do this every week, Thursday at four o'clock Pacific time. <clears throat> we record it, put it on my YouTube channel. And I have another a call I do on Tuesdays on real estate investment. I want to share a couple ideas today on when you're a buyer, the importance of your financing. Now, I saw a lender on here earlier, um, but I'll tell you, I, I started my career as a lender. I started in the mortgage business. And um, as, a, as such, it gave me an interesting perspective in the business that most agents don't have. Um, but I just want to kind of point out where we are in the market and make sure you're all kind of aware of what's going on. For the last, hmm, I don't know, 25, 30 years, interest rates have been an almost nonstop decline. I started in real estate in 1986 when rates just came below the 10% figure for 30-year fixed rate. And second trustees were about 17 or 18%. And that caused a frenzy of activity. And every year since, rates have inched basically nonstop. That's some corrections along the way from 10 to 9 to 8 to 7 to 6 to 5 to 4 to 3 to below 3 in January. And now we bump back up again, right? 30-year fixed rates that were maybe 2.75 in January, maybe 3 and a quarter today, 3% today. And you say, what difference does that make? Well, to a buyer of property, 1% um, on half a million dollars is $5,000 a year, about 400 bucks a month. So you're selling a $500 house, you used to get a $400 a month better payment than you are today. But for a lot of people, that's a car payment or two. Um, $4 can go towards retirement. $4 can go towards a college education fund. $4 can go towards a lot of things. And so you have to understand that property that yesterday, or I should say last month, was sold for $500,000 is worth maybe less by that $4 a month. Maybe, maybe not. There's some theories that, well, the market is just so overheated that this will just slow down the overheat percentage. That might be. Hard to say. I don't have a crystal ball. But all that matters is what's happening to your transactions. I can tell you that a lot of loan officers got lazy over the years because interest rates would go down, 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 and they would be hesitant to lock in rates because they might get a customer at five and if the rates went down, they close at 4.75, they're a hero. Or they maybe they make more money on the deal. Whereas, or they would quote 475 when it was five, and the rates would come down, they get lucky and recover them. But when rates go up, that all goes away. And so you have a combination of loans that should have been locked that weren't. You have deadlines being created now because when you when you rates are going down, yeah, if you're late, it's not a big deal. But if rates go up, it's going to cost people thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. And most lenders were already really busy. I just had lunch today with a, a friend of mine who's a lender, big lender with a big company. He was sharing with me that he needed a second appraisal on a property because it was a $2 million loan where the appraiser, they ordered the appraisal on the 7th. He's not going to get to the property till the 23rd next week. Won't finish the report to the end of the month. And so that's going to be three weeks for a second appraisal, which wasn't ordered after the first one was done. And now their escrow is going to be late and the rates are going to be higher. 
So all these are factors that factor into transactions on the rate side. Then there's the performance side. I, I have two different buyers who are buying properties that I help represent them on that are working with some hard money lenders. In my experience with hard money lenders is kind of like, you know, when you watch the movies, the, um, the sleazy single guy dating, promising everything to the girl with only one intention. Because when my clients applied for the loan, oh yeah, we can close in 10 days. And here we are in 14 days later and they're inventing new pieces of paper that we have to create for the file. And so as an investor, I want to share with you or a wholesaler or as a realtor, the importance of relationships with lenders, the importance of time. You can't go back and make up time. You got to start the transaction fast and furious in order to end up on time. So I just want to share with you the reality of the importance of relationships with, with lenders. And it's funny when I set up these meetings, I expected to have lenders on here every week. I would think a mortgage lender would love to talk to, you know, 30, 40 people every week looking to buy property, sell property, invest in property. In some regards, you can say they're too busy. Some of them are lazy. They're, they've made so much money without having to work hard. They don't really have it in them to work hard now that the business has turned around a little bit and it's a little bit uphill. So it's really important in this market that if you're either borrowing money with a lender or you're an agent or investor dependent on a lender, you vet them, you follow up on them, you help them hustle in their paperwork because this is a challenging time right now for lenders and escrows. And I'll just show one other story just to go on the same topic, escrows. I had changed escrows a few months ago. I went to my, to my trusted partner, title rep. He recommended a title company or an escrow company because the one I was working with wasn't performing. And I opened two or three transactions with her. We closed two or three. They were a complete mess. Both other agents were just really upset. I've never spoken to the escrow officer. I called her initially to introduce myself. Never talked to her since. All the emails and texts, I get her assistant. She's on the phone. She's in a meeting, never available. Nothing gets done on time. So I opened escrow with another company that promised free escrow service to the listing side, to the selling side. I said to myself, it can't be worse than the one that I chose. At least my seller isn't being charged. That's how bad the business is. At least they're not going to overpay for bad service. Now, if you know a great escrow officer, I'm all ears. But what I want to say to you is it's a challenging time in the industry for all vendors, for all professionals. We're all busy. We're all tired. We're all frustrated. But this is where the pros suck it up and get it done and continue to build their business. And for those of you who are new or don't have too much business, this is the time for you to make headway because your competition's busy with all the problems they have. And if you don't have any business, go get some problems. And that leads into my last line, which I say all the time, which is, if you don't have problems and you're in real estate, you're not working hard enough because we get paid to solve problems. When you're a real estate salesperson as an agent, a wholesaler, investor, you get paid when you solve other people's problems. So that's my rant today on lenders and escrow. 
Uh, I see Marcy is still smiling. We're, we're still friends, Marcy? We are? Any questions, feedback? Anybody want to argue with what I said? You want to agree with what I said? No? If you guys just want to sit there and be entertained, I could put on a movie or something we could watch together. Oh, come on. What you said uh, really applies to almost any business. You're really solving problems for people, and that's what you're paid for. Uh, I mean, I think that's a, a great way to, to express it, uh, Bill. We solve problems. Uh, whether you're a wholesaler, a, a, business, a salesperson, um, you're a title uh, <clears throat> expert, um, escrow officer, uh, you're paid to solve their problems because you're the expert in that particular area. They don't know how to, they don't know what to do to uh, get their title exactly the way it's, it should be so that there's no problems after they buy. Exactly. Um, and and the escrow officer, you know, they are the ones that are taking, making sure that your money is secure and handled properly and gets to the right places at the right times. And, you know, I'm really not uh, that much involved in, in real estate, but you've got to take a look at what's behind what they do for you and right. treat, treat them good and they'll treat you good, uh, except in today's business. It is, it is tough and it's busy and it's frustrating. So. Hey, and there's a real pandemic. And when people say, you know, they work hard, it's like, do you work in a coal mine? Like really how hard do you work? Like, let's be honest. Uh, you know, I, on one hand, I'm up early. You know, I work out early. I, I, my day starts usually work, day starts about 7.30. I work till six pretty intensely. But really, am I really working hard? I mean, there are guys, I know when I went to court the other day, I saw the construction guys and these guys are carrying like big old chains and big old rolls of wire and they're going up multiple levels and pounding on stuff all day long. And like, that's hard work, right? So, and I make a lot more than they do. So that's, that's you got to put it in perspective. So what problem do you solve? Marcy Green, what problem do you solve? I go to a networking group where they always ask, what's your perfect client? And I always feel like, you know, my coach taught me originally that, that um, sales is like dating, you know, for marriage in the traditional sense, right? That you, you have to kind of, you have to kind of warm up your prospect and take it one step at a time and make sure there's a mutual appreciation and, 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 and not ask for the business until you've established trust and relationship. Um, uh, and, and so to me, when somebody says, well, who's your favorite customer? It's kind of like when I was single, ah, you know, <laughs> If I said I was looking for, nobody would give it to me. In but, the last century. <laughs> but, but the flip side would be, well, what problem do you solve, right? So, Marcy, what problem do you solve? The problems that I solve are the pro money problems. People don't know what is involved in getting money for uh, to purchase um, to purchase property, to take money out of property, what they need, if they need money quickly or if they can wait a while, they don't know. And so what problems we solve is giving them the answers that they don't even know to ask the right questions to. Okay. Uh, giving them enough background information, enough foreground information to help them 
make their decision that yes, uh, I want the most amount of money that, uh, that I can get right now, or I'd rather be a little more conservative. Um, it's, it's helping them make the, the decisions of what is appropriate for them, what they can qualify for, and answering their questions. They don't understand, well, look, if I, if I use a lot of my credit, I mean, that's what I have a credit card for, so I use a lot of it. So, But lenders look at it the opposite way. If you're always using all of your, all of your credit, that means if you took out additional credit, additional lending, how could you pay any kind of, uh, pay your, the payment, make the payments on any additional lending? So they want you to use their credit, but use it responsibly, right. to, um, get it down to 20 or 30% of the amount of the limit that they gave you. Right. And, um, you know, you, if, if you have, uh, have to run it up a little higher, always bring it down, not to zero necessarily, but bring it down to uh, what they consider, oh, this person's reasonable. They know how to, um, how to handle money. I'd be open to lending money to them. And so what problems, uh, additional problems I solve is having my, my people, my clients understand what is going on, why they qualify, for how much and why they may not qualify and what they can do to get up to the point of being qualified for funding. Well, I can rephrase a little bit. The problem you solve is they don't know how much they qualify for, right? They don't know that. And you're going to tell them what that is. Yes. So we, we, my, 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 thank you very much. And I would say for all of us, we make sure we're clear on you know, what problems do we solve? I solve problems for people with real estate or real estate professionals where the title is not clear, might need a probate, might be the solution, but they have a problem. The problem is they don't know how to transfer title from this person to that person. And I also help real estate professionals use that knowledge to increase their income and their wealth. Those are the problems that I solve. So good, so that was my rant on lending today. Who has a question or a challenge or problem you'd like to share with the group today related to probate real estate uh, and we'll see it in general. Anybody? Yes, I have a question, Bill. How's everyone? Cisco. Hi, Bill. Great, how are you? Great. Um, I guess I encountered the problem on how, um, I'm, how do I put this? I'm trying to do a, a new project, but I don't know how to finance the project if the property is already paid for. It's a, I'm trying to do a new construction, basically. What kind of property is, what kind of property is it? A multi-unit property. Um, R4. R4. How many units is it? Four. So you have <clears throat> R4, you have a lot that you're going to build on, or you have a house you're knocked down and build for you, on? Or what do you have? So yes, I'm, I'm, I could have freeze me. So what you're really looking for is so you're looking to borrow money to do the construction, get it ready for sale. Yes, but I'm not exactly sure, Bill. That's why I was like, okay, is that the route that I should take? Well, what's your alternative? Um, 
bringing on someone else on board as a partner? Sure. That's always a question. So I think before you bring a partner on, you need to understand the scope of the project and your options, right? So what are your options? Your options are you can sell the property as is. Your options are you can develop it in a four-year property. That's a construction project. So at least at a minimum to get a partner interested, you'd have to have a budget, an idea of what it costs, the, the construction costs, the carrying costs, the soft costs, uh, and then an idea of what it would sell for at the end of the day. Or they could refinance and get paid off and keep it, depending on what they wanted to do. So I think that when you, when you again, using the theme of our job is to solve problems, uh, some people have a problem that they have too much cash. And that sounds funny to somebody who can't pay the bills, but for people who have a lot of cash and they're getting zero interest rate and they know there's some inflation, they're kind of losing ground on it. Their problem is they want to put their money into action. And so the way you solve the problem, I think, is you answer two questions. How much money do you need? And what's their return going to be? And how much you need, you got to really put the budget together. That's where you earn your money. Is get a contractor, find a similar project, get a budget put together of all the costs. And then since you already have the land, you only need the, the rest of it. Either you can find somebody who can, who can put all that up in cash or somebody who might put up some of it in cash you can borrow against it. Now you have equity in your land. You might not even need any cash if you have somebody who's going to put the money for the construction, right? So you got to work out that budget in, in the course of budget construction is over time. You don't need all the money day one. You just need access to it all plus reserves. So I think if you put together a budget for the projects and can answer those two questions, what would I get out of it? The getting out of it would be refinancing it and a net income calculation, return investment, or uh, after, return, after repair value, what you could sell it for at that time. So I know we have some developers on the call. We also have developers on my other call on Tuesday. Um, you know, I think that you just need to, I would recommend knowing you a little bit, if I could be you know, so bold to recommend, I say start the process of calculating what would it cost to build the units and how much money do you need if you got all cash? You could always finance it as well. Let's start with that. Yeah, I, I got some quotes. I did. Um, I, I got. So if I if I said to you, how much money do you need? The answer is six hundred thousand. So you're looking either to get six hundred thousand cash or to borrow six hundred thousand dollars or a combination, correct? And you said the land you have is worth already about four hundred thousand. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think we can possibly raise it towards once the units. What's the are land built worth? What's your acquisition cost? What you pay for it? I'm sorry, I can't. Hear, the connection is bad. Fifty thousand. Fifty thousand five zero. Fifty thousand. So you're two for fifty. And what would a four-unit property in that area be worth if it was completed? Um, Multi-units, they're going for over seven hundred thousand. So if you spend six hundred, now you have something that's worth seven hundred. That's not a big return, right? Right. That's what. That's exactly what I'm looking. So, at. and where's the property at? Palm Springs. Palm Springs. 
So um, usually a construction loan, you'll need about 30% equity in the deal. So you need to find at least, I would think, 250, somebody put $250,000 as a partner to make that deal work, just in rough numbers. Okay. Well, look, the more you can get the numbers nailed down and present it, the more you can network like this and say, I'm looking for a partner who wants to invest $250,000 in a four-unit property in Palm Springs. You should come see me and calculate out what the return is for their money. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. But again, if you can answer those two questions, what do you, how much money do you want and what do I get out of it? You can answer those two questions in a simple sentence. You have a project put together. Until then, you just have some ideas and some work to do, okay? Works too. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you, Bill. Anybody here experience in developing a four-unit property that might have some other insight for Francisco? So when um, I'll, I'll speak to it, I was working with some guys. We uh, a while back we're a boutique company. We raised capital for hotel development and acquisition. And you know, any kind of loan or any kind of loan request, a property request may have a a format that makes sense in that world, but there's a general format that you would you could put any deal into if you knew how to ask for these five points. The first point was, as you say, what do you want? You know, I'm looking for $250,000 equity investor to invest in a seven unit apartment building, a 10 unit apartment building. That's uh, really all you have. That's all you have to say in step one. Is there somebody out there that has $250,000 for multi-unit property? If there is, they can. They know what they want. You don't have to say any more in that first point. Okay, number two is what's the environment you're doing this in? The economic environment, the geographical, whatever the selling points are of that area that makes sense, okay? Uh, the third point, uh, would be the structure of the deal. You know, at 250, you're going to be an equity player for 250. We're going to borrow uh, $600,000 construction expenses, on and on and on. The profit is going to be about uh, final sales price, a million bucks. So we're going to make $300,000 on the deal. The overall, the overall deal, right? Chapter four is going to be what does that project actually look like brick by brick? If it's a construction loan, that means um, a construction breakdown. You know, a, 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 a use and suddenly I've lost the word. What, what you get and what goes out. You know, the, the actual finances that make the thing work. And chapter five is who are you? Why should anybody give you $250,000 or whatever it is? If you can answer those five points, and you're prepared to, I'd say, a one-page sheet of paper, then you've got your deal completely outlined to uh, an investor that knows what he wants, and he can look at it right away, assess it, and move on, whether it's a lender or an equity player. And Abraham, I appreciate it. And I guess maybe the, the issue that I encountered was once I put that paper together and I take it to the SBA, they gave me like, now I, I have to come up with like 32 page. 
architecture. Yeah, plan. right. That's what I say. Once you're narrowing down to a particular market environment that tightly, they know what they want. Right. And if you know it's SBA, they want a 32-page paper. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. But you've you've already actually taken the first step that, that I'm talking about. You've already taken that step now to go to the next step. You know, you you know they're in the deal by the kind of deal you would do. Now you have to promote the effort. But like Bill said, if you also need 250 of equity, um, you, and to find somebody like that, then you have to drop back to the first step and say, are you a player for this type of a deal? And you need to make it easy for them to assess it because they see stuff all day long. If it takes them more than 30 seconds or 60 seconds to know generally if they have interest or not, they're, they're not going to look at it. They want to find the, they want to use that one minute to find the deal they really like and then ask more information about it. Thank you. Very good. So there's some information from an actual investor. And I'll just also share with you my experiences with investors who actually invest in deals is they look at a lot of deals. The ones that are really fun deals. And so oftentimes I have, I have uh, you know, people with projects who come to me and it, because it's not well thought out, at least on paper, it's hard to get somebody's attention to be interested in it. And you have to realize who your audience is. Your audience is looking at 100 deals a day. Your deal needs to be, again, what's it, what, do, what do they want from me and what am I going to get out of it? That's all they really care about. They're investors. They're not, they're not looking for friends. Good. Well, good luck with us. Let's keep us uh, abreast of Francisco. It sounds exciting. Who else has a problem, challenge, or issue we can uh, work with as a group today? So I have a problem. Great. Great. And just notice how okay. everybody here real quick, give Robert Hahn a round of applause. He has a problem. You only have problems if you got to bed in the morning and go to work. So congratulations on your problem. How can I help you? Or how can we all help you? So uh, my wife and I started getting involved in- Oh gosh, no. The wife, the wife- yeah, I know. That, no, that's not my problem. That's not my, that's not my problem. Well, it might be your problem. That's not the one you can talk about. Well, let me make that clear. That's not my- Anyway. It um, might be- so we live in California. Hold on a second. I know his wife, so I can say that. Go ahead. So uh, we're, we're not the guy with $250,000 invest in one deal. So we're, we've looked at a state for deals that are scaled down to where we can play and be a part of it. So we selected Kansas City and we, we've done a couple of deals. Probably we've been having the last year or so is, you know, the first book you read on how to flip houses, rehab houses, or how to invest. It's like, don't lose your money. You know, if the numbers don't work, go on to another deal. So the last year or two, as you mentioned, with interest rates going down, that necessarily pushes the price up that people can afford to pay for real estate. If, if you know you can afford $1,000 a month and, real, and interest just cut from 4 to 2%, two, you can now by twice as much. So every time we look at the numbers, it doesn't work. We don't do the deal. And then the price goes up as rates have gone down and we wouldn't have been able to do the deal. But looking at it statically at the moment, it, it didn't make any sense. Now, on the one hand, we still have our money, <laughs> right? 
But on the other hand, we don't have profits that we might have been able to make. So I'm kind of asking some you all in, in general, how do you do that? Do you, do you factor in, yeah, I think the market's going to continue to go up a percent a month or whatever it is, or do you just keep not doing the deal or find something else to do? You know, my, my brother was an investor who retired uh, and actually lives in Israel on uh, properties he bought, uh, mm -hmm. fixed and held. And he was, you know, sharing with me how he'd like to buy a couple more, but they're so expensive. And when you calculate the numbers, now he buys property in Rancho Cucamonga. That's what used to be where he worked. Mm -hmm. So he used to come across good deals. He bought a couple of them and accumulated about 10 of them at one point. But I said, he said, how can those properties be worth $500,000? I say, well, what's the rent? And he's, he's collecting about $2,400 a month in the rent. And I said, well, if somebody buys that house for $500,000, what's their monthly payment? It's less than the rent. That's why the, the interest rates, there's, there's a lot of old rules of thumb that applied when rates were 18% and 10%. One of the rules of thumb is never pay more than, uh, I think one, uh, the, the, the rents should be 1% of the sales price. So if, if, the, if the property's worth you know, a million dollars, the rent should be at least $10,000. Well, that was true when rates were 10%, but since rates are 5%, you can buy the property and have you know, reasonable reserves um, you know, uh, at a much higher sales price or a much lower rental amount for that same property. So the people who are paying more have figured there's two things I've seen investors do that pay more than the other guy. Number one is they look at their carrying costs and they're going to hold the property. A lot of the investors I know who are flipping houses in South LA are moving to buy and hold only. That allows them to get a little higher price, but they right. plan to hold it for a while. They're cashing in their chips. But as long as it pencils with reasonable reserves, that will make sense in the long run. That's one strategy. The second strategy I see investors doing well here in LA is they're figuring out based on zoning and planning where there's more value in the property than the other guy sees. I was at a probate court sale last week and there were eight investors. And seven of them thought you could only build, I think it's a fourplex with um, only three bedrooms each. What, uh, because near USC, they limit the numbers of bedrooms in a unit because they don't want unsupervised frat houses or residence homes. So right near USC, if you build a fourplex, they can only typically have three bedrooms. But this one, because the street was on, it, the investor who paid more figured out he could do four bedroom units. And obviously, if you have four units with 12 bedrooms instead of nine bedrooms, you'll get more rent. So ergo, he could pay more for the house or noticing that a property has an alley behind it, or noticing the property is on the corner can get you an ADU or, or more space. So again, the two areas that people focus on are, there's a cash flow. And second, is there value in the property because of some hidden value that you can unlock? And that comes from learning the property and, and how to do business. And so um, in probate, we do a lot with that because a lot of the properties are older, neglected. And how do you, how do you turn them into money um, when the margins are getting tighter, just a, a, an easy fix and flip is a little higher, harder than it otherwise would be. So anyhow, well, I'm glad to have, that you have that problem. 
And the and the so what is the answer? What do you do to get out of the the, the problem? Is the the third thing I would say is look at more properties. I had a I, there's a, a famous YouTube influencer in the real real estate investment space who said he was quitting investing in real estate because he used to look at 100 properties to find one, and now he had to look at 150 to find one, and it wasn't worth the extra effort. Okay, well that's one answer. Another answer might be find a way to look at 150 more efficiently because that's just what the market bears. And with technology and, and such, maybe there's a way to do that, right? So those are the, the options. Anybody else have any insight on how Abraham, he sees these margins where he wants to deploy his capital. Um, anybody else see any of the solutions for him? No? <laughs> so there's a couple to work on. One, see if maybe it's time to do buyers and hold. And, and refinance and, and the people do those usually hold them. And if the market continues to appreciate, you refinance. Uh, I know Annabelle Pacheco, one of my team members, um, hosts a Wednesday multifamily investing um, call like this. Uh, she bought a property in Dallas, Texas. Uh, and after two years, she refinanced and took back all of her capital and is redeploying that in another property. So maybe that's the solution is, is buy and hold and, and you're done for a while. Yeah, that's it. This seems to be the the most obvious answer. If you can acquire the property, you may not make any money in a flip, but your fallback position is by rehabbing it, you still acquired the property probably at a lower cost than you would have had you bought a bought a retail property and then you have to hold it, you have to hold it. Right, maybe you have to hold it for a couple of years. Yeah, there's still a decision that, just, that you have to make now. Now I'm looking at that and I'm saying, okay, if I'm going to sell this property, I'm going to pay 150. I'm going to pay a dollar fifty a square foot for flooring and so much for carpeting. If I'm going to flip it, but if I'm going to rent it, this is an area I probably only have to spend ninety cents a square foot. So I still have to make a decision yep. at some level today. And what I think that it's going to happen with the property. Yep. It, it's not the worst decision if I have a carpet, it's a little more, a little less. But yeah, that is kind of a way of having your bet on that situation. And I think that's why so many investors also wholesale properties that don't quite meet their margin, but they can make five or $10,000 on it and, and help somebody else out who, who is willing to work at a tighter margin. And why so many investors end up being real estate agents because they can end up selling the property and making the commission uh, when it's time to dispose of the property. There's one way to get the capital back. Good. Who else has question, comment, problem? Again, you must be. You guys are, if you're all working, I know you have problems. Come on. Everybody. Come on, does. You want to Even if you have a good solution, you can share that too. <laughs> sure. Anybody? Anybody here have any deals that are gotten tight all of a sudden because of lending? Hey, Bill, how you doing, buddy? Good. How you doing, William? Good. Can you just mention that um, statue uh, where um, if you were uh, in an overbid situation? Oh, yeah. And yeah, what's that statue again? I'm sorry, I got to write that down, man. On the buyer side where you get paid the extra commission dollars? You, are, you already know, brother. It's called the Bill Gross statute. <laughs> you know, I have stunned so many people in court with that one. 
<laughs> I wish I could get like a band to play something I could walk off, you know, to applause or something. So what we was talking about is in probate court, very little known rule that the uh, probate court uh, in Los Angeles generally will limit commissions to 5% on property um, and 10% on vacant land. And um, uh, technically the court, the judge can order whatever he wants or she wants. They're in charge. Generally, uh, they'll go along with the contract to list the property. But if the contract is 6%, they'll knock it down to 5 And so what happens in court will be most commonly the commission, the listing agent lists the house at 5% commission, two and a half to both parties. So you bring a property into court and you sell it for $500,000. You went to court to confirm. Somebody like me shows up as long as my buyer has a 10% cashier's check, is willing to buy the property waiving contingencies, and is willing to raise their price by 5% plus $500. So if they're an escrow at 500, the judge is ready to approve it. He'll say, anybody here willing to pay minimum 525, 500, I raise my hand, and then a bidding war or auction might take place. Generally, the buyer will drop out, but it, it varies. So at the end of that, if you if we ever look at a, a probate um, private remarks in the MLS, agents always put in their commissions uh, only paid uh, paid uh, 50 50 both sides. There's always some sort of little attempt by the there's one or two uh, um, agents that want to protect their commission, and so they'll spend paid you know a couple of sentences saying that regardless of the order. The commissions are split 50-50. However, little known probate statute 10165B, as in Bill, states that if I bring in a buyer to overbid, I get the whole 5% over the sales price that the listing agent was trying to confirm. What? So what does that mean? That means that property comes to, to court Listing agent has a $500,000 offer. She's splitting it two, two and a half percent both sides. If my buyer walks in and is willing to pay five twenty-five five, not only do we get the buyer's two and a half on the first five hundred, but I get all the five percent on the fifty thousand five hundred amount. I'm sorry, the twenty-five thousand five hundred amount. So, you know, recently I, I bought properties for clients of court for one point four million, one point oh five million. Couple five hundred thousand dollars, five. I'm getting extra two and a half percent on the overbid amount, which can be a lot of money. It could be two hundred thousand dollars. That extra two and a half percent is going to be five thousand bucks. And um, I actually print out a copy of that code and I bring it to court. I highlight the section. The judge will normally say, "Commission split 50 Yes, excuse me, Your Honor. May I speak to that? If you say it that way and you look like you're an attorney, even though I'm not, they know I'm not. If you look professional and you say, excuse me, your honor, uh, may, be, may be heard on that. That's the proper way to say it. Yes, you may, go ahead. Uh, probate code 10165B provides that the entire overbid commission goes to the buyer's agent. And men- oh, Why would agent, that be so? Why would it- I think why, the why reason why, 
I think the reason why is if you think about why is there a court confirmation process is that the court is protecting the estate to get the highest price possible. And if you're the listing agent, you're standing there saying, I can't get a higher price than $500,000. And I walk in the door with a cashier's check that day, waiving all contingencies at 525.5, you didn't do your job. And I think the statute understands that and says, if you can go find a buyer to pay more, all that commission is yours. Because the listing agent's job is to bring the highest price to court. That's her job. So for I sit, that's an equalizer. And, and I don't mean to rub it in uh, anybody's face, but they get a little huffy about that as I pull that commission, that portion of the commission check out of their hands. There are agents who list 3%, 2%. I love doing it on those because I'm already getting a little bit less, right? So yeah, that's the Bill Gross statute. Uh, when you can use that in court as long as you mention my name. Is there any way for the listing agent to, to refute that or to avoid that from happening? Well, the, the law is the law, but ultimately the judge decides. Now they can say, well, we have a contract and our contract says two and a half percent. They can say he's in the MLS and he's agreed to this number. But I can say, but I also am a California resident lawfully paying my taxes and this is the law. And the, and the agent put in the MLS, that which violated the law, Your Honor, please enforce the law. That's all I'm asking. I'm not asking for a special favor. So I've not had any agent even know that was the case. I'm sure if I find the same agent again a second time, they would be prepared and try to argue the point, but it's the law. There's not really, I don't know what you would say. In fact, I'm telling all you guys with the risk that my listings that go to court you might show up and cost me some money. Okay, if you overbid my listing, good for you. Like, how, how could I be, how could I feel cheated if you go out of your way and you get a buyer and overbid on a property that I brought to, to court? What, you know, why would I be a problem? Well, you're losing money, but you know, outside of no, that. No, not losing money, because I was willing to take the 500,000. You brought the 525 out of the blue. So why am I losing money? I went to court to confirm the price already. You brought the extra money to the table. Why should I get any of it? Oh, so he's just getting, that's right. It's just on the overbid amount. So if, it, if it's just 25,000, they're exactly. getting 5% on the 25. Yeah, yes. Not yes. Yeah, it's not that much money, but you know, on a $500,000, uh, 5% on 25,000 is twelve fifty. Uh, half of uh, half of that's going to be six hundred something bucks. So it's six seven hundred bucks on a five hundred thousand dollar property. Look, it's money. I rather have it than not have it. I'll tell you this: listing agents that had to, had to find out the hard way, and they didn't believe it. What? What'd you do? How'd you do that? You know. But it's about knowing the rules. It's about being a professional, being an expert. So if you're going to use that rule, let me know ahead of time. I like to hear how that happens and tell me the story afterwards. Okay. Good. Any other questions, challenges, problems? No? Are you guys working hard? Yes, sir. Bill. Yeah. Bill, uh, can you answer any uh, input on Prop 19? It's not really. Um, estates, trusts, nothing? 
any way we can market, try to get some business off of it? Well, yeah, I, I would say that, uh, and what's your name? Sal. Sal. So Sal, I would say definitely there's ways you can market it. You know, I, I know that, for example, the number one probate attorney by volume in LA, Paul Horn, uh, kind of changes marketing to Prop 19 because there's some legal issues as well as accounting issues related to Prop 19. So he actually started holding seminars on that with so much interest in it. Um, there's certain deadlines back in February that have passed, but still there's consequences for people's planning their estates and, and such. Uh, you know, you can go online and research and find an article. I mailed out to my clients a couple articles that talked about some issues to concern yourself with. The solution is always going to be meet with an attorney or an accountant. So I, I stay out of that myself. But I think that, uh, and, and so where do you, where do you live or where do you uh, do business? Uh, North, Northern California. You might San Mateo County. A, San Mateo County. You might find an attorney or accountant who's doing webinars on that subject. And you might ask if you can market uh, people to come to their webinar, their, in, 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 uh, their webinar or their meetings, whatever they're doing. You might find an article online and, and send it out to all your prospects to get them to be interested. Uh, so are you an agent or are you an investor, wholesaler? What's your role in real estate? Yeah, I'm an agent trying to get in the probate, uh, trying to get some listings. I, I have another question for you. I've been uh, buying leads from probate data, from probate data, and uh, a lot of times the the spouse or the uh, somebody who's in a trust is the executor uh, always filing. So are the, it seems like those are not really good leads. Uh, I thought usually when it's probate, they don't have a trust. So, um, most of the time, if you have a trust, you avoid probate. Generally speaking, a trust will avoid probate. However, there are times when trusts, there's, there's arguments, litigation, and those, that litigation is filed in probate court. There's another common case where somebody creates a trust but forgets to deed the assets into the trust, most famously the property. Or there used to be a time when you got a loan, you had to deed the property out of a trust, refinance and then deed it back in a trust. And people would forget to deed it back in the trust. And so people found themselves with trust set up with the intention of shielding them, avoiding them from probate. And now all of a sudden they were stuck going to probate. So there's a procedure, a petition 850, um, called a Hegstead petition. Hegstead was a famous court case where the, the um, petitioner claimed that it was obvious that the decedent intended to put this property in the trust. Uh, therefore, the court should move it into the trust without going through a full probate. And those are fairly regular procedures that are done fairly often. Now, there, you know, it, it has to be fairly obvious that was their intention. They create a trust and never follow through and they get it out to do a refinance around that time period. Um, but that would be the case. So those are not good ones to go after them, right? Well, I, I think that I, I would rephrase the question. I think that you're, you're taking the wrong approach, which is you're looking okay. for people who have problems. 
if the person you're calling is a wife or surviving spouse who has a property that they don't want, your job is to help them. And whether it's probate or a Hegstead petition or a trust or they don't need anything, your job still is to help them and figure out what the problem is and how to solve it. So if they're going through the process with a Hegstead petition, they might be they might need some help or they might just want to get ready to sell the property. But very commonly, spouses do this, but they stay in the house. So they're not selling anything. So they don't have a problem. Your job is to okay. find people with problems and solve them. Okay, does that help a little bit? Okay. Yes, it does. You're looking to meet people. People have problems. Your job is to help solve their problems. Good. Good question. Uh, before we wrap up here, any other questions, challenges, problems? No? Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for your time. Hey, this is fun. This is, yeah. this is what I do for a living. Well, and, and people ask me all the time, why do we do this call? You know, am I doing this to sell something? Well, clearly, no, I didn't sell you guys anything, did I? Uh, am I doing this to recruit people? Uh, people join my team as a result of this, but I, I hopefully I haven't spent time recruiting anybody here today. My job, just like I said to Sal, my job is to talk to people, find those other problems and help them solve it. I get to do, I, today I talked to 30 people on this call looking for people with problems trying to help solve it. That's how I get paid in the long run. So go forth, find people who need help, be a service. My first coach was Zig Ziglar. He used to say, you can have anything you want in life if you help enough other people get what they want. So you know, call people on the phone, find out what they need and, and what they want and figure out a way to help them get that. If you do that, you'll be successful. Okay, last questions. Not seeing any in the chat box. No raise hands. Hey, Anthony. Uh, Bill. Yes. Uh, I'm not trying to be a hog, but uh, I feel like... Uh, um, so every once in a while, I'm in Northern California. I get these leads that will, will say that they died in Southern California. And then they'll, they'll file up and they'll have an attorney, like say in a, a different County up here, uh, like San Francisco, but then they filed it in San Mateo County or Marin County. Uh, can you explain why they do it that way? I mean, it just, it just seems really odd. Have you been to Los Angeles? Yes, I have. I got a lot of family in Los Angeles. Have you been, <laughs> to, LA County? There. Have you been to LA County courthouse? Uh, no, I have not. Just guess the answer. If you had a choice between spending time in San Mateo County's courthouse or Los Angeles County courthouse, which one do you think you'd rather be in? Uh, uh, San Francisco is not too bad. There you go. I was saying I can relate because, you know, I, I lived up in the Northern California for a while. I'm from here in LA, but, uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I did business in Solano County and uh, it's, you know, night and day, even with Solano County, it's pretty busy there, but night and day from LA County. I mean, that's pretty much anywhere you go. You know, that's why people, okay. wherever it's th things would be simplified and, and expedited. I lived all my life for two years here in LA County. Uh, I'm a Los Angelino to my heart, uh, but I gotta say our, our city and county are broken. If you can find a way to do business somewhere else, people will find a way to do business somewhere else. It's as simple as that. And so uh, our, our uh, county probate system is much more complicated and tedious, backed up, 
autocratic, bureaucratic, everything is bad. Uh, and, I, and I see people doing probate business in Orange County and it's easier, faster, nicer, cleaner. Um, now for me, I don't mind the problems because my job is what? What's my job? Anybody? Solving problems. There you go. So I'm fine. There's a lot of problems in LA County. I'll be the I'll be the beacon of light. That's my job. I don't really mind that, but I understand why people would do that. It doesn't mean you can do it. You can't necessarily choose where you want to file. You have to have a, a reason. <laughs> and if nobody objects, you'll probably get away with it. <coughs> but sometimes there's there, and the other reason sometimes there's two siblings and the one files because they live in Northern California and the one in Southern California, they don't trust. There's a, there's a lot of different reasons why it might be, but my guess most of the time is anybody who can do a probate in any other county would do it anywhere but LA if they could. Okay, thank you. Sure. Good, okay, hey, we're at the end of time here. So thank you all very much. Uh, hey, Winston, nice seeing you. I just have picked up your picture there. I know we talked to the phone a little bit today. Hey, Hey, how you doing? Uh, thanks for you guys' help today, participation. Francisco, appreciate it. Always nice to see you Thank guys. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Any questions, call, text. Hey, a couple quick things. We send out a link afterwards with the uh, YouTube. Feel free to check it out. Like it if you like it. Put comments on. Subscribe. We love that. We do a, pro, a uh, real estate investment call every Tuesday at 3 o'clock. That's realestateinvestingzoom.com. Feel free to, to check that out. Um, and then on Wednesdays, we do multifamily uh, properties. That's with Annabelle Pacheco. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. All my stuff is on my website, uh, theLAprobateexpert.com. Call me, text me, email me. Thank you guys very much. Great. Uh, great having Thank you. Today. Bill, again, I Bill. emailed you. I don't know if you got my email. Um, I didn't. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll look for it. Uh, I'll, I'll look for it. I'll call you right afterwards. Well, I'm, I'm still going to, I'm going to look again. I, I have your contact information. Okay. Thank cool. you, Bill. Let's Appreciate talk. everything. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you, Abraham, as well. Thank you. Appreciate thank you. it. You guys have a great day.